Hello, everyone. Welcome. Thanks for coming. I'm Dave Killian. I'm an engineer at Snapchat, and I work on the storage infrastructure team. And I'm here today to tell you about how we migrated a critical storage use case over to DynamoDB. So before I get into that, um, I'll explain a little bit about what Snapchat's about. So you can think of Snapchat as communicating with pictures or videos. We call Snapchat messages snaps, and snaps are ephemeral, so that means they get deleted by default. And because messages get deleted by default, um, a moment I capture doesn't have to be super amazing or important to share it with my friends. So when I'm interacting with my friends on Snapchat, it tends to feel a lot more like an in-person conversation than it might with other, other messaging platforms. And because there's fewer barriers to sharing and most of the content is pretty recent, Snapchat just tends to have a more in-the-moment feel to it. So part of Snapchat is the Stories feature. So all you need to know for now is that that's one of the most popular ways people communicate on Snapchat, which is why back on New Year's Eve last year, I was super nervous. I was worried because we just migrated the storage use case over to DynamoDB, and I knew it was coming. So we had these huge traffic spikes every midnight on New Year's Eve, and the new system we'd built was about to get put to its ultimate test. So load on the system was going to be several times higher than we'd ever seen before. We were pretty sure it was going to work, but we couldn't be positive. But first, let's go all the way back to the beginning of the project. So I joined Snapchat uh, in, around this time. Uh, I joined the storage infrastructure team in Seattle when that office was starting up. And to give you some context on Snap, so we've grown a lot over the years, and we're at really high scale now. And we spend hundreds of millions of dollars per year on our back-end cloud services. So reducing costs was a big part of our team's goals. Also, uh, Snapchat runs primarily in Google Cloud Platform. So we run in App Engine there, and primarily, and we use a lot of the managed services available to us there. But around this time, Snapchat had made a decision that um, strategically we wanted to be on multiple cloud providers in the long run, given the scale we were at and other reasons. So our team figured maybe we could kill two birds with one stone. We figured there must be some storage use cases at Snapchat that, given their characteristics, would be a better fit for the trade-offs of other storage services. So we collected a lot of data about Snapchat storage use cases, did a bunch of number crunching, did a bunch of analysis, and there was one use case that kept surfacing to the top over and over again, and that was story inboxes. So it still was not an easy call to pick this use case to migrate. There was a lot of risks involved with it. There was definitely easier use cases we could have migrated. But before we get into that, I'll just explain what the stories feature is real quick and then take you through uh, the technical back end of the story inboxes piece. Okay, so user experience of posting a story. So when you open Snapchat, it opens up to the camera screen. Uh, so this is what I usually see when I open the camera screen, my feet there, and then I might take a picture of something and you get to edit it in various ways. This is a snap from uh, last Thanksgiving in my family. And then you choose who you send it to. And you can send it to individual people or you can choose to send it to uh, your story, which means all your friends will get to see it for the next 24 hours, after which it goes away. So here's what viewing stories looks like. 
I open the app, it goes to the camera screen. I swipe over to the right, and I can see all my friends' stories there, uh, or all my friends that have active stories. And then I might tap on one, and then it'll play back their story snaps in chronological order, like a story. Okay, so now that we understand a little bit more about the user experience, uh, let's get into the technical aspects. So first, what's a story inbox? So this is a pretty simple concept. Every story post uh, has an ID associated with it, and every user has an inbox, and that inbox just holds all the story post IDs that are incoming to that user. So my inbox is gonna contain all the IDs of all my friends' story posts for the past 24 hours. And the data model's pretty simple too. So the row is keyed off a user identifier, and there's a column in there that has a serialized list of all these story post IDs. So here's the architecture. I'll take you through posting a story. Uh, all this area in the cloud here is Google Cloud, cloud Platform at the time, so keep that in mind. So most of these are managed services there. So say I'm posting this story, it sends a request to the back end, it hits an instance, an app engine, um, we associate an ID with that story post. Uh, this is just an arbitrary ID I'm creating here. Uh, we persist the media itself and some metadata about the story uh, in a storage system there. And then we enqueue a series of tasks. And this is kind of simplifying it. Really, we enqueue one task that's going to enqueue other tasks. But this, these tasks are going to be in charge of adding that story post ID to all my friends' inboxes. But here, we just enqueue that and we return back to the user once it's successfully enqueued, and it says their story was posted successfully and they're good to go. So I'll zoom in on what these fan-out tasks look like. So this is happening behind the scenes after the user posts a story. Uh, so in this example, we have three tasks. Those will get run by that same fleet, and then those tasks will interact with the story inbox's persistence layer to add that ID to all my friends' inboxes. And then once the tasks run, they're no longer in the queue, and that process is done. I'll zoom in further on this. So same example. There's three tasks running. This first one is going to add that ID to uh, some subset of my friends. And the way it does that is basically just to read, modify, write transactions. So we start a transaction, we read the row, we deserialize the existing list of story IDs, we add the new story post ID to the end, um, we put that column back in the row, write the row back to storage, commit the transaction, that's it. And then so we would do that for all three of these friends here. And then these other tasks are gonna do the exact same thing for other subset of my, subsets of my friends. And by the time it's done, uh, they all have this new story post ID in their inboxes. So I'll take you through the read side of this. So say my brother opens the device, goes over to his stories screen. Uh, it's gonna send a request to update stories. There's a caching layer in front of these storage systems, so we first retrieve his inbox, and you can see my new story post ID is there. We use that inbox to fetch some other metadata about some of these stories, and then we construct a response, send it back to the device, and then it can re-render the story screen with all the new posts. And then if he taps on my story, it's gonna retrieve that media from a media delivery system we have. Okay. So we understand a little bit about the architecture here. So what was it about story inboxes that made it look so attractive? So when we estimated cost across a bunch of storage systems, this particular one, it, it showed up that we would eliminate almost all the cost on DynamoDB. So that was really surprising, and we weren't sure what to make of it. Uh, we figured it might be wrong, 
And even if it wasn't wrong, there's maybe something we can learn about this, so we dug into the details. So I'll explain here more about that. Um, so this is just some properties of this use case in relation to the Dynamo billing model. So one thing we're billed for is total data stored. And in this use case, it's basically nothing compared to the other costs. And that's because the data is ephemeral primarily, also because these story post IDs don't take up much data. But the inboxes uh, are not proportional to how long I've been a user. So they don't accumulate data over time since they're only the posts from the past 24 hours. So the, the size of the table might fluctuate with how many posts are active across the whole system, or it might grow with user growth over time, but it's not gonna accumulate data depending on how long someone's been a user. So network bandwidth was a new cost. Since we were trying to cross cloud providers to storage here, we're getting billed for network bandwidth both ways. So that was not a trivial cost, but not the bulk of it either. Similar with reads, they were significant, but the real story here is writes. So this is a really write-heavy use case. And remember, that's because every post, we're doing an inbox write for every one of your friends. So there's a multiplying effect there. Now, so writes were the bulk of the cost, and they're also the most resource-intensive. So we're really gonna focus on writes when we talk about costs. So I'll talk a little bit about Dynamo's billing model, um, in case you're not familiar. And this also kind of helped us explain why it might be a lot cheaper on Dynamo. Um, basically, if you imagine a billing model where you just build per row written, that'd be that blue line. And the cost per write doesn't change with how big the row is. But with Dynamo's billing model, it's more of a throughput-based billing model. So you can imagine it like your build per kilobyte written. And so the larger the row, the more expensive it's gonna be per write. And store inboxes kind of falls in this lower left quadrant here. So these tend to be really small rows. So this is kind of how we rationalize to ourselves, yeah, okay, so it makes sense that this would be a lot cheaper because we're kind of benefiting from only writing a small amount of data. Another thing we really need to understand as we talk about costs here is with Dynamo, we're not actually getting billed for how much of that write throughput we use, it's how much we allocate. So we pick an allocation, and that's, that would be that orange line at the top that we need. Uh, that green line would be just like an example daily pattern of the write throughput we consume. So we need to pick an allocation that will meet those peaks. And then we're billed for that allocation, not the green line. So we're billed more based on that orange line there. And so at night we have unused capacity, but we are being billed still for that capacity we allocated. Okay, so it, it makes more sense to us that this will be a lot cheaper. There was a lot going for picking this use case. One is the scale. So we do millions of writes per second with this use case, and that kind of ma magnifies the cost savings. In terms of savings, as I said, we estimated we'd eliminate most of it, and it's millions per year. Um, Complexity-wise, this use case is also easier to migrate because it's ephemeral, so instead of having to copy data from an old system to a new system, we could just dual write to the old system and the new system, and then 24 hours later, they're both in sync, more or less. Also, since all these writes happen asynchronously in those fan-out tasks, we have a little leeway um, with introducing some new latency or failures and retries there, because small delays in that fan-out path aren't really noticed by users, unless they're, they're pretty significant. 
because people don't know exactly when their friend posted a story, so they don't know if there was a small increase in delays when they first see that story. So there's a lot going for this use case, but there's a lot of open questions and concerns at the same time. A really big one was, is making cross-cloud calls really gonna be viable, especially for a use case of this scale? We weren't sure how much latency we would introduce, how, much, how many failures. Uh, we were worried about how often that network path would go down and what it would look like for such an outage. We also didn't know if our estimates were right. It was actually kind of complicated estimating, and the inputs to our estimates involved other estimates, so there's definitely a chance that the return on this project wouldn't be there. We weren't sure we wanted to migrate such a critical piece of our infrastructure for such an important feature as the first thing we migrated. Uh, there was definitely easier cases we could have started with that would have just you know, kind of dipped our toes in the water. And finally, we just figured there's things that we're totally missing that we're not even thinking of here. So at this point, there's really not much more data we could collect. And there's only one way we can answer all these questions. And so this is gonna be, we're gonna enter sort of a building phase of the project here. So we wanted to build a production shadow experiment. And there's some important things we wanted to get out of this. One, we wanted to mirror real production operations. So if we had built an artificial load test or something, we might just be baking in our false assumptions into that test. So two, we wanted to run it at full scale because at full scale, there's just things that might happen or we might see or problems that might arise that we won't see otherwise. And three, we wanted to run it for a significant period of time. So we wanted to see it go through those occasional outages or just really weird, unusual events and have confidence that it's not gonna cause a, a catastrophic event or a feedback loop or something like that. So we enter a building phase here, and I'll summarize it pretty quickly. So fortunately at Snapchat, most of our storage use cases go through a small number of really high-level storage interfaces. So we were able to leverage that and plug in underneath that. So we built a storage framework where we could plug in different storage capabilities, and we could go to different storage backends like DynamoDB. So we got that working. We built the DynamoDB plugin for it, got that working. We built this read and write shadow mode where without changing business logic, we could shadow reads and writes and control the percentage that, of traffic that we're doing that with. So we got this out to production and we started ramping it up. We ramped it up to 100%, so we were excited to see all these uh, benefits we were looking for. So one was cost, so that's one of the first ones we wanted to see. And it was not panning out. Uh, it was a lot more expensive than we expected. It was multiple times higher than we estimated. Not sure why. Latency. So we'd actually done, before this production experiment, some much simpler experiments. We just did a bunch of round trips to Dynamo across cloud providers. And we measured tens of milliseconds in latency there. So that'd be totally workable. But it was way worse than that. It was hundreds of milliseconds latency. Didn't know why. So keep in mind here, we're going across cloud providers. Availability, also not what we expected. So at least we failed fast. Um, so at this point in the project, uh, it was kind of a low point, but at the same time, when we're surprised by results, we figure there's probably something we can learn here, and we were excited to dig into the data, and so the first thing we saw when we started digging in was this, right off the bat. This is from the DynamoDB console, so this is our write throughput over a 24-hour period. 
Now, we're used to seeing a particular pattern every day at Snapchat, and across a lot of use cases, it looks similar. And this one looks way different. And in particular, you can see there's this weird drop in the middle of the day. And that happens every single day. And this is strange, too, because we had never looked at this graph before. Like, we're typically, typically looking at per call rate graphs, so we're kind of like turning over a, a, a rock here and looking underneath for the first time. So we look closer at this graph, and we see this drop. And you might notice something's odd about it. It happens at midnight, and that's UTC time. So we figure there must be something weird going on with the code here. So we dig into the code and look for some piece of code that might be dealing with midnight. And we find something that looks like this. So I didn't talk a lot about how we actually remove expired IDs from these inboxes. But all you, all you really need to know is that we calculate this first time it'll be removed. So the way we calculate that is it's basically midnight of next day. So when I post a story, it'll expire in 24 hours, but the first time we remove it is the following midnight. I'll also note here this is totally independent of how we remove the, the media and metadata uh, for, or sorry, the media for the actual story and other metadata. So those are all removed shortly after the story expires. So the inbox itself works a little bit differently. And also, since there's expired IDs in these rows, uh, we filter those out on the read side. So users never see these expired IDs. We're going to show you a visualization here of this effect of the way we expire these, or the way we actually purge them. So every one of these story or sorry, this is an inbox over a few days, so say this is my inbox, and every one of my friend's posts is one of these bars, and it's green when it's active, and then it turns to orange when it's expired. Uh, so there's posts that are overlapping, and so at any given time, there's a number of active, and I'm going to overlay what my inbox might look like at different times throughout the day. So you can see right before midnight, my inbox has eight IDs in it, and half of them are expired. And then shortly after midnight, those get removed, and the inbox size has a 50% drop, and all four of the IDs in it are active. And then you can see the rest of the day, we start to see that bloat again. The inbox keeps getting larger with more expired IDs, and then it drops again the following midnight. So when we understood this better, we looked back at that other graph, and it makes a lot more sense. So that daily drop was about 50% every day, sure enough. And because UTC midnight happens to be right after our daily peak, that means we go through our peak every day with inboxes that are almost twice as big as they, they could be if they didn't have those expired IDs in them. And because that's hitting our peak, uh, it actually is almost doubling our costs. But that's not the only thing that made our estimates off. So even if we changed the way this works, they'd still be off. So here's another thing that had happened. We had a bad input to one of our cost estimates. We calculated write throughput as number of writes, which we had historical data on. And we multiplied writes by average row size to get throughput. And we knew that this was problematic, but I think it slipped into our estimates somehow. And I'll explain why that's problematic. So basically, the write throughput is skewed by the more active users. So the largest inboxes, they take up the most uh, write throughput, but they also are the ones written to the most often. So if you imagine my inbox tends to have n IDs in it, 
and that just it tends to be n from day to day. How many times is my inbox written per day? It's n um, because there's n IDs in it. Those all had to have been added in the past 24 hours. So really, if you think of my inbox's throughput per day, it's n writes a day times n IDs per write, so it's n squared IDs are written to storage every day. Another way to get this across, if my inbox is 10 times larger than the average user's inbox, it's going to contribute to cost 100 times more than the average user. And that's just not reflected when we use average row size in our estimate. We, we have to use something like average size of a write. So we weren't sure how to deal with this, so we just kind of let, let this digest, and we looked at the other problems. So one, latency. This turned out to be poor persistent connection reuse. So when we were making requests to Dynamo, way too often we had to create a new connection. So you can see on this diagram, it's, it's just showing client-server round trips to establish a TCP connection followed by an SSL session. It requires a lot of round trips. This is going across cloud providers. And that can add tens or even hundreds of milliseconds in latency. So why was our persistent connection reuse so bad? This actually had to do with Snapchat's architecture. So Snapchat deploys a backend that's mostly one large monolith. There's hundreds of thousands of instances in this backend. They're each pretty small. And a key thing about them is that they're running business logic for hundreds of different endpoints. So a lot of things besides the stories feature. And because of that, only a few of these instances had active requests to Dynamo at any given time. And because only a few connections were active, a lot of them stayed idle, which gave them a lot more opportunity to just get closed and idle out. And so then later we'd have to create new connections. So to tackle this, we put a proxy between the monolith and DynamoDB. We put it near our instances. And we, we had thought of doing this early in the project, but it actually required us to fork the AWS SDK. Uh, we didn't think we needed it before, but now we, we realize we do need it. So we went ahead and forked the SDK uh, to get this working. And we had to fork it because this is actually a managed proxy, and it required us to use some special APIs. And with this, we just get to concentrate all that traffic down a small number of very active connections. So the proxy has far fewer instances running to proxy those requests, then the monolith deployment. And then each of those just has, there's, there's just hundreds of connections to Dynamo instead of potentially millions. Okay, so our experiment didn't really go as planned, but it wasn't really a blocker. Our cost estimates were way worse than we expected, but we'd still save money if we move forward at this point. The latency wasn't what we expected, but it was manageable, and we think this proxy would help. But at the same time, we learned a lot through running this experiment, and we figured it'd be a good time to, to kind of reevaluate based on what we learned. So there's some new optimization vectors we can go down here. Uh, so storage throughput had never really been looked at or optimized just because we never really needed to in the past. That's just not how our billing model worked. So right off the bat, compressing inboxes is one thing we could do to reduce uh, throughput, and we just didn't experiment with that, and it, and it cut throughput by half. There was the expiration we talked about earlier. We could tweak the way that, the way that worked, and that should also cut our costs in half because it'll cut peak throughput in half. But at the same time, we're starting to see 
this system through this lens of throughput and we're gaining a visceral understanding of how it works. And so we're starting to see a lot of waste in the system that we didn't see before. So we're getting some new ideas. Let me show you what I mean. So here's a fan out task again. It basically just does a read, modify, write transaction. And so through the lens of calls, this is just a read and a write, straightforward. Uh, but if you look at this as throughput, it's reading five IDs and then writing six IDs back just to add one new ID. So there's really useless operations on 10 of these IDs. So why can't this just be writing one new ID? So we explored a new data model. So basically, instead of a row per inbox, it'd be a row per uh, story post ID. So my inbox would be a collection of rows instead of one row. And the primary key here basically just starts with the user identifier whose inbox it is, and that'd be the hash key in Dynamo. And then following that would be the expiration time of that story post, and then following that, the actual story post ID. So nothing else in these rows, it's just a key. I'll show you how we could interact with that data model. So to fetch an inbox, I basically just have to query where uh, the hash key is my user identifier, and the sort key is greater than the current time. So that'll give me all the IDs in my inbox that haven't expired yet. So to add a new ID to an inbox is pretty simple too. You just write one new row with the destination user as the hash key and then following that the expiration, following that the story post ID. So I'll take you through an illustration of how this works and we'll compare the two models and see the efficiency gains we can get from this. So assume we're running one fan out task and that task is gonna add one new story post ID to 100 of my friends and assume that every one of my friends has an inbox that already has 100 IDs in it. And one other thing to call out here is that Dynamo allows 25 rows per HTTP request or 25 writes and so that'll come into play here. Okay, so, so the blue is gonna be the old data model here. So in terms of writes, they're the same. Like either way, we had to write to 100 inboxes. In terms of reads, before it was 100, now it's zero. We don't do any reads now in order to add to an inbox. We're just writing rows. In terms of remote calls, before we were reading 200, uh, I'm sorry, we were reading 100 and writing 100 because everyone was read, modify, write. Now we're just doing no reads and four remote calls. Each one has 25 rows we're writing. Now IDs per call is getting into more of a throughput based dimension, so, um, or IDs per write, rather. So before every write was writing 101 IDs back, now every write, or every row write is just one ID. So let's look at this for more of a throughput based dimension. Uh, IDs written before, it was over 10,000 because we were writing 100 rows and each one had over 100 IDs. For IDs read, it was also 10,000, but we're not doing any reads anymore. Um, but with the new data model, we're just writing 100 IDs across into storage. So there's some other benefits of this. One, there's no contention. So before, people with really active inboxes, really active users, uh, there, were, there was often some contention problems because it was read, modify, write, and if the row had changed before we wrote, we'd get a contention issue, a failure. Now the writes are no longer conditional on any read, so that problem goes away. 
the amount of resources we use per write or per adding an ID is constant rather than linear with the size of the inbox. Uh, that also makes estimate, estimating earlier. So this is kind of what tripped us up before with the skewed consumption by active users. So things are just easier to reason about. Also, we're optimizing CPU and network bandwidth here. So we saw that there was 10,000 IDs going to storage before, and now there's 100. So that correlates with network bandwidth usage too, which we're paying for now. So almost all that just goes away. And before, we were had to deserialize and serialize all those IDs, and almost all that went away too. So at this point, optimizing for the storage billing model is having these ripple effects where we're optimizing network and CPU too. And we looked at these fan-out tasks, and we actually pay millions per year to run just the compute for these fan-out tasks. So now we're predicting that almost all that should go away, because every dimension we look at here seems like almost all of it goes away. All right, I haven't talked about garbage collection, how we clean up these expired IDs with the new data model. So I'll go through that. So as we said before, out of the queue comes fan out tasks, and with the new data model, we just do a batch write. So to do cleanup, instead of enqueuing one task that's fan out, we enqueue two, two tasks. The other one is a cleanup task. And this is almost the exact same as the fan out task, except for two differences. So one, we're just doing a batch delete of the same rows instead of a batch put. The other is that we schedule this to run 36 hours in the future. So we don't schedule it 24 hours in the future because then our peak delete time would be our peak put time. And both deletes and puts contribute to write throughput, and we're billed for those. So if we schedule it 24 hours in the future, we'd be doubling our throughput at peak and doubling our costs. So by adding 12 more hours, we're offsetting the put and delete cycles. And so at night, when we're not using much of our capacity, we're filling that up with the peak deletes. So in the meantime, the production system, of course, is still running while we're looking at this. And user growth is happening. And growth of the storage feature is happening. And the production system starts running into some scaling limitations. And so uh, occasionally when we hit peak, there's some problems with it. And sometimes there's some ripple effects of that problem that are even affecting other use cases. So the storage backend team, which owns this, they were able to mitigate those. But at the same time, we're starting to get worried because New Year's Eve was on its way. And on New Year's Eve, the low is going to be several times higher than our normal peaks. And if it's having tr trouble now, you know, what's going to happen on New Year's Eve? So this kind of changes the dynamic of our project. So initially, it was a cost savings initiative. Now people are starting to look at it like, maybe this is going to be a plan B for New Year's Eve, or maybe even a plan A. So now there's a new sense of urgency to get this done before New Year's Eve and to have it working. OK, so our new data model looks promising. It seems like it's going to drop the cost to compute, network bandwidth, storage, storage throughput. But still, like last time, we could totally be missing things that we aren't going to find out until we try it. So we move forward with a shadow experiment to run the new data model. And we get it working. We changed, uh, we built some prototype business logic to have it run through that path. Let's see what happens. So cost. So cost looked awesome. It was way better than before. It was right in line with our estimates. 
the new data model had made it a lot cheaper. Uh, I'll show you the effect of our puts and deletes staggering here. So you can see that is working pretty well, and so it's cool to see this graph in action. Uh, so the sum of those two things would be our write throughput. So you can see it almost doesn't even have a daily cycle anymore. So when we allocate capacity right above that line, we're not wasting much, much of it. So at night, uh, we're still using most of that capacity. What about latency? So we had built that proxy. Latency was awesome. It looks much better than before. You can see the drop here. Uh, when we turned on that proxy, it went from hundreds of milliseconds down to tens. So that's more of what we expected. Availability also looked a lot better. So I think this is because going through the proxy, uh, it was something related to that. Uh, potentially not having to do all those round trips to establish a connection just left less opportunity for something to fail or go wrong. But still, a question we got asked a lot was, isn't latency availability going to be worse? Like, we're going across, storage or across cloud providers. It's got to be worse. Isn't that going to be a problem? So to tackle this question, instead of comparing both storage systems side by side and looking at those latency, and yeah, the new system would add some latency because we're making a call across providers, we zoomed out and just looked at the metrics we care about for the user experience. So if we look at the time it actually takes to deliver a story to a user, or if we look at the time for a user to update their stories, when we look at those percentiles, there was no distinguishable difference between the two. So we couldn't detect this difference uh, and distinguish it from the noise in those, in those uh, graphs. All right, so we're on the home stretch here. So we're going to let the production experiment bake because, again, we want to see it go through these unusual events and see how it reacts to those. In the meantime, the stories backend team takes our prototyping and our, what we learned from the experiment and starts integrating with the real business logic. They build the dual write and read and, uh, and the migration controls for that. And the last thing on our plate is kind of to estimate how much capacity we need for New Year's Eve. So one problem we had with this is when we look back a year ago in our graphing system, the data at that time is, is hourly averages. So that tells us very little about what that five, 10 minute spike right after each hour looks like. So we can't really use that to extrapolate what the peaks this year will look like. So we ask around everyone, does anyone have fine grained data from last year that they saved? So you know, I'm asking on HipChat, does anyone have this? And fortunately, someone on the stories team had a graph of one minute granularity from the previous year, New Year's, and I'm just showing the few days around New Year's there. And you can see we've got these gnarly traffic spikes on New Year's, and the traffic's much higher than the days around it. But there's this weird graphing quirk that occasionally bites me when I'm looking at really short uh, peaks. Basically, uh, I calculated how many minutes are in this graph. Oh, I'm sorry. So the way we were going to extrapolate this to New Year, uh, the next New Year's is basically look at the average ratio compared to the New Year's peak there, and then project that forward based on our current average traffic, and we would calculate that way. But I look at this graph, and there's over 15,000 minutes in this time span, because this, this screenshot was actually from a few weeks of data. And then I open up the screenshot and see how many pixels wide it is, and it's 940 pixels wide. So it's not really possible to represent all these minutes in this graph. And so what our graphing system does in this case is it's actually averaging together 
data points to render them to one pixel. So this is actually 17 minutes per pixel. So this graph is lying to us. Uh, on normal traffic days, this wouldn't make a big difference because in a 17 minute span, uh, each one of those minutes isn't, isn't that different from the other minutes. But for those peaks on New Year's, that makes a big difference. So they're actually much higher than they look here. If this data were still live and you were to zoom in on this graph, you'd actually see the, the peak getting larger and larger as you zoom into a narrow time frame and that minutes per pixel gets smaller. But at the same time, this is all the data we had, so we worked with it. And so when we added uh, you know, a bunch of other estimates like growth between now and New Year's and uh, buffering so we wouldn't get throttled and just margin of errors on different inputs, we figured we need anywhere between five to 12 times our normal capacity on New Year's. All right, so that production shadow experiment was running and we did see it go through some interesting events. So one, the Cubs won their first World Series in 100 years. And I'm gonna show you a snap I sent some of my colleagues the next day showing the story post spike when that happened. <laughs> and you can even see spikes happening at the end of different innings or plays before that that were bigger than our normal daily peak. Uh, but when the game ended, and it was like a game seven down to the last play epic finale, when that game ended, our, our traffic went several times higher than our normal daily peaks. And so it was great to see the system go through this. We exceeded our capacity uh, by a lot, so we were getting throttled by DynamoDB. One cool thing, though, was that we didn't brown out anything. So our read capacity, we actually did not exceed because most people were posting. And so this didn't affect reads because that's an independent uh, capacity allocation we set. And reads are a lot more important because if people can't refresh the stories, that's very noticeable. But if these story posts get delayed a couple minutes, it's not a huge deal. And so we'd actually changed the way our fan-out tasks worked too. So instead of like sleeping and backing off and retrying and keeping that task alive while we're getting throttled, uh, we would actually schedule a task in the future when any failure happens. So if something fails, we'll schedule a new task to write those same rows, and the amount of time in the future is our back-off. So we'll keep doubling the amount of time in the future we schedule these tasks. So that way, if there is a really big event, we can keep backing off and retrying for hours without dropping any story deliveries. And so in this case, uh, we were able to drain this within a few minutes, so it actually worked really well. Um, and there was, there was actually another event I'll talk about where our task queue system, we did something that caused it to go down actually for an hour and all the story posts during that time backed up and all the deletes that we needed to do uh, backed up as well. So when the, the, the task queue system came back online, we had this huge flood of traffic to DynamoDB. And similar to this, the back off kicked in and it worked well. It took longer to drain in that case, but it worked well. So these incidents are really important because every time they happen, and there were others as well, but every time they happen, we're gaining confidence in the system and we're gaining a visceral understanding of how this operates and, and we just understand the operational characteristics better. All right, New Year's Eve. So at this point, there's nothing more we can do to prepare for New Year's, and it's rolling in. 
So things are going to go quick now, and I'll take you through that. And most of this is us just reacting to things. December 20th, by this time, the Stories Backend team had uh, completely integrated, had the dual writes and reads working with the new system and the new data model, going at 100%. 0% of users were actually getting results from Dynamo, though. It was still from the old system. And at this time, Snapchat is, is planning for New Year's. Uh, and you know, we're, we're talking about scaling and top risks. And that production system is still a top concern. So there's some tension there. By the 23rd, we had 50% of users actually getting their results, <clears throat> excuse me, their results from Dynamo. AWS gives us the green light to use all that capacity we need. The 24th, bump in the road. Uh, we, we had a nasty bug, and we, on Christmas Eve, we had to push an emergency deployment to fix that, got that straightened out. Christmas. Uh, this was interesting because we expected to see really high read throughput from Dynamo on Christmas, and that's because Christmas Eve is a really active day, and so there's a lot of active story posts in the system, so the average inbox size is way higher than normal. And then Christmas Day is really active, so there's a lot more fetching of the inboxes than normal, so those kind of multiply together. But a completely unrelated outage at Snapchat dampened our peak traffic that day, so we never quite got that signal. By the 27th, at this point, 100% of users are getting the results from Dynamo. So we're actually on the Dynamo system, but we're still dual writing and reading from the old system. And this is where we crank up our provision capacity to what we need on New Year's. So there's nothing else for us to do at this point. All right, New Year's Eve. So to give you some context, at Snapchat on New Year's, every midnight that strikes, there's a big spike in traffic. But there's two particular spikes that are, are just beastly. And that is Paris and New York. And so I'm going to focus on those two. So those are the ones that we all fear. All right, so 3 PM, this is Seattle time. So 3 PM is going to be Paris midnight. So at 1.30, we've watched what's happened. There's been several New Year's already. They're going to be much smaller than Paris. Everything looks fine. But even our baseline story post rate is much higher than normal, like higher than a normal uh, peak. And that's without even counting the, the spikes every midnight. So we roll into midnight, and we're sitting there refreshing graphs. Uh, a few minutes later, we see story posts spiking, as we expect. And then a few minutes later, we see the story post to delivery latency start increasing. So this is basically time between a user posting a story and it being delivered to an inbox. So every one of those is measured, and that latency is going up. A few minutes later, we understand the root cause of this. We've hit our capacity for our task queue system, so we can't execute all the tasks at full bore. And some of the tasks are getting backed up, so some of these fan-out tasks are sitting in a queue, not delivering stories. This we didn't expect. But by 10 after, the spike had gone down, which freed up enough capacity to drain those backed up deliveries. Things were trending rapidly back to normal. Everything's OK. At 3.30 PM, the topic of discussion, should we change anything? We were concerned because if we hit capacity in Paris, what's going to happen when we hit New York, which is a much bigger spike? Now, typically, changing anything on this day at this time would be dumb. But we talked a lot about it, and we talked ourselves into one change. 
So we had a knob that could control the number of inbox writes we would do per fanout task. So if we increased this, that means we'd be executing fewer tasks, and that would free some capacity up in the task queue system. We had never used this knob before. But uh, we talked through it a lot, and we figured, you know, in most ways this could go wrong. It's pretty reversible. So we went ahead and did it, and it worked okay. We saw the task executions go down. Things seem to be smooth. At 5.15, we talked ourselves into another change. We increased our task queue capacity. Now, this we had done a bunch of times before, and it always had gone fine. So that was one reason to go forward with it. Five minutes later, story delivery times start increasing for something like 10% of uh, inbox writes. We have no idea why. By 6 p.m., a small percentage of the delivers continue to increase their delay. So the problem's getting worse. By 7, we understand that this is definitely related to us increasing the capacity. So we're kind of regretting that at this point. And we also understand there's just nothing we can do about it except wait it out. So this is kind of when things were starting to drain at this point at 7 p.m., but it wasn't draining very quickly. Now, again, this was affecting, it wasn't affecting everyone. It was, it was something like 5 to 10% of deliveries were affected. And it was kind of comical because if you looked at the delay graph, it was trending back down. But if you extrapolated it, it intersected exactly with New York midnight. <laughs> so we made this exciting for ourselves. So 15 minutes before New York hits midnight, those finally drain. So we get 15 minutes of rest. Midnight hits in New York. There's a huge spike in story posts, as expected. A few minutes later, we see us hit task execution capacity again. Now, note that this capacity is a lot higher, and we're using less capacity because of those two changes we made. So maybe it was a good thing that we changed this, because there would have been a lot worse delays if we hadn't. So we, we still hit this, this limit despite our changes. So we see a small percentage of stories getting delayed. Um, but by the time the spike went away, like Paris, uh, things trended rapidly back down to normal again. We were able to drain those. So only a small percentage of deliveries were affected, and it was only a few minutes, so it wasn't a big deal. So to kind of just summarize this, like the rest of the night, we had some other spikes, but they were much smaller, so they weren't a big deal. So we had some user impact here that wasn't good, but um, overall it actually went pretty smoothly. So. Uh, the impact we did cause wasn't super noticeable. But we were not out of the woods yet. So January 2nd, if you remember the graph I showed you earlier where we had puts and deletes offset, so all of New Year's Eve we were scheduling deletes for 36 hours in the future. So that means we're just going to replay what happened on New Year's Eve on January 2nd. And on top of that, a lot of those story posts are happening at night on New Year's Eve. So those deletes are going to happen at peak on this day. So we're adding the two together. But we were prepared for this, or at least we had thought of it, fortunately. So we had left our capacity allocated at its New Year's level, so there was still a lot of it. Also, one thing we did is we don't schedule it for exactly 36 hours in the future. We actually added some jitter. So It'll be within a few hour period we randomly pick around 36 hours. 
So that's especially helpful for those really short New, Year, New Year's spikes because it'll disperse those few minute periods across a few hours. So the traffic was really high on the second, but it wasn't as spiky as it was on New Year's Eve. So we didn't get those yearly or uh, those hourly spikes. So things actually worked fine and we got through this. All right, January 9th. So this is the end. Um, this is the point of no return. We turned off writes and reads to the old system. And here's a graph showing us turning off that use case. So this is a handful of storage use cases at Snapchat. And you see here um, the right number of writes for each of those. And obviously, that top green one is the one we turned off. So it was really awesome to see that just go down to zero. Now, in terms of results, um, we've been running this for almost a year now. And it's been very stable since. I'd say it's probably one of our most stable systems at Snapchat. In terms of cost savings, uh, we eliminated most of the old system's costs between compute and storage costs. Uh, and that's uh, when taking into account the new bandwidth costs we were paying. And I'd love to tell you exactly how much we're saving, uh, but I can't disclose that. But I can tell you that we would not have put the effort into this project if it would only save a few million a year. And we definitely got the result we wanted, and it was an impactful result. So uh, it, was, it was successful. So just to summarize some threads we saw here. So a fine-grained billing model gives you more dimensions to optimize your use case if you need to. Um, you saw that we were able to really understand the characteristics of the use case and match it up to that billing model and optimize the heck out of it. And also, that billing model incentivizes the whole system to be more efficient. So you saw our network bandwidth fall away when we optimized it. And you saw CPU costs. So the, uh, the compute costs we paid um, dropped away completely almost. Also, prefer realistic, ex realistic experiments over analysis and estimates. So both are important. But as you saw, um, our estimates were easily off. And a, a realistic experiment is just going to take all those variables in, into account that you can't think of no matter no how, how hard you try or how clever you think you can be. So that's all I have. Thank you all for coming.